I'm excited today. We're going to return to our, our series called Kids Stuff for Adults. If you're a guest, we're going back and revisiting some of the s- stories that we tell our kids, and we don't go back and revisit as adults. We're in our Exodus edition right now. We went through the book of Genesis, and, and, and it was an amazing, exciting journey. And now we're in Exodus, and today we're going to start talking about Moses. And I want you to really pay attention. You know why? Because you're a Moses. I bet you never thought about that. You're a Moses. As we, over the next several weeks, unveil his life journey, we're going to show you how your life journey parallels it. You're a Moses. Exodus chapter 1, verse 12, the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, find themselves in a horrible situation. Earlier in their history, they were welcomed into the land of Egypt with open arms. Now, a new Pharaoh has come that hates them. And his initial plan to try to exterminate them is to make them slaves and literally work them to death. Scripture says the Egyptians treated them ruthlessly. But the more ruthlessly they treated them, the more the population grew the more they begin to spread through the land of northern Egypt. So Pharaoh comes up with a plan that we looked at last time. And that plan is this, is that he says to the midwife, Shifra and, and Puah, he says to them, listen, when you deliver the Hebrew babies, if it's a baby boy, kill that baby immediately. If it's a girl, you can let her live. See, he's trying to get rid of the male population who can grow up and, and be subversive, grow up and be soldiers. The females, he said, we can integrate them through marriage into the culture, but the boys kill them. Then we saw these two wonder women, these two midwives refused to obey Pharaoh, and they allowed the boys to live. And after Pharaoh caught on, he called them back, as we saw last time, and he said, he said why did you let the boys live? And God gave them just the right thing to say. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 19, he, he's, they say to him, they, they play on the, the Egyptian racism against the Hebrews and, and Pharaoh's hatred of the Hebrews. And they, said, they said, oh, you got to understand that these Hebrew women, they're not delicate like your Egyptian women. They're not fragile like your, they're not elegant like your, your Egyptian women. They, these women are beasts and they get pregnant and they have those babies before we can even get there. So Pharaoh buys it, hook, lines, and sinker, just plays right into to his racism. But he's not done yet. And finally, he puts out a decree in Exodus chapter 122 that we looked at. And he now turns to his own people, the Egyptian people. And he said, listen, he says, all my subjects understand this. We got to get rid of these Jews. And so you who now have them as slaves, those of you who have them working in your industries and on your farms and in your quarters, if you see a Hebrew woman who has a Hebrew baby boy, you must Throw that baby boy into the Nile. You've got to kill that baby boy. I mean, life is seemingly going very wrong for God's chosen people right now. They've moved from a life of comfort and a life of welcome to now where they are being persecuted even to the baby infant stage of their existence. And it's only going to get worse as we're going to look at over the next couple weeks. So where is God in all this? These are his chosen people. Where is God in all this? Well, let me tell you where God is. He's exactly where he needs to be. See, God is getting everything ready for a major change. In history, a major change, especially in the history of his people, the Jews. 
See, they, they had been living comfortably in Egypt. They were welcomed with open arms, and they started businesses, and they built neighborhoods, and they had houses, and they had children, and everything was going beautifully. There would be no reason for them ever to want to leave Egypt and go back to the promised land. So God's turning the gas up, see? He's giving them a reason why they want to get out of there. Now, the Egyptians, on the other hand, they, they don't want to see him go because they've got some free slave labor. And so God now is preparing to make the Egyptians, and especially Pharaoh, ready to say, get out of here, we don't want you anymore. And so God is manipulating the circumstances, see? And now he's going to do it through a leader to come by the name of Moses. And you're a Moses. What's God to do next? Let's look. We'll read the entire story, beginning in Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can open to that passage, beginning in verse 1. Let's read the story together. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the Nile bank. She saw the basket among the rigs and sent the slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. We're really looking at today, we're going to begin to look at, at the miracle of Moses. And, and it really is a miracle. His life, his journey is a miracle. I mean, he's living in a land where there's a contract on every Hebrew, Hebrew baby boy's life. He should have never survived. Right after his birth, he should have been killed. And yet he's alive. And we're going to see God working in amazing ways in his life. See, he has, he has parents. In Exodus chapter 2, 1, house of Levi, and she, he married a Levite woman. You know what's amazing to me? Notice that, that before, they mentioned particularly the midwives by name, Shifra and Puah. Now, Moses' parents aren't mentioned. You know what's more amazing about that? He's the author of the book. He's not mentioning his own mom and dad. Now, he will later on. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, he writes that Amram, who's his father, married his father's sister, Jochebed. In other words, his aunt. So this is a little strange relationship, but remember the, the Mosaic law isn't in, in, into vogue yet, and so it, it, they're not under that. And this was a custom of the day. But anyhow, she bore Aaron, his older brother, and Moses, and in Numbers chapter 26 tells us that she also bore a sister, Miriam. So this couple dares to defy the edict of Pharaoh. He's got a death warrant on all the baby boys. And don't you know that when she became pregnant, she began to, and Aaron, they began to worry. Is this going to be a girl? Is this going to be a boy? They didn't have ultrasounds and sonograms and all that stuff back in that day. They had no idea until the baby arrived. And yet, they had the courage, they had the love to bring yet another child into their family. Now it says, when she saw that the child was fine, she hid him 
for three months. Pharaoh's got an order out. Kill the baby immediately. Now, what did Jochebed, what gave her the courage to defy Pharaoh? I wonder, don't you? Well, think about it. Shifra and Pua defied Pharaoh. And don't you know that that word got out among the other Hebrew, Hebrew people, that they had defied him? And what happened? God protected them. God blessed them. We saw last time that God cared for them. He was good to them. He let them survive, Pharaoh, and he also blessed them with families of their own. And don't you know that they took courage from the faith of Shifra and Pua? You know why? Because that still works today. Listen, when we stand for the things of God, when we demonstrate our faith in the face of ridicule, in the face of persecution, in the face of evil, when we stand fall, uh, tall in faith, then that encourages others to stand tall in faith. And that's why the church is so strong as a unit. That's why we're so weak individually, but united. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Because my faith will encourage your faith, and your faith will encourage me, and we'll encourage each other pretty soon. We're not afraid of what culture says, and we're not afraid of what evil has to offer, because we believe God is greater than them all. And I believe that, that those godly parents had the faith to do what they did, because they drew from the faith power of Shifra and Pua. Now understand, God had uniquely created Moses. So when she saw that he was a fine child. Now, now every mom looks at their baby, and it's the most beautiful baby's ever been born, right? So, I mean, how is this different? Well, I, I looked and I studied the rabbis, and, and, and I looked what they said about the original language, the Hebrew language it was written in. And there's this connotation that, that not only was, was Moses a beautiful baby, and not only did mom have natural love for her baby, but there was something about him. They wrote that, that Moses had some kind of aura about him, some, some kind of divine presence in him that, that broke him out even from the other babies, and that immediately that his mom and his dad recognized that he was special, that God had something special from him from birth. And so they recognized that he was a fine child. See, because God had uniquely created him. But not only did he recognize it, Pharaoh's daughter did too, Exodus chapter 2, verse 6. It says, she, Pharaoh's daughter, opened the basket and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Now remember, this is an Egyptian woman. This is the daughter of Pharaoh who has the edict out that if any Egyptian now finds any of those Hebrew babies, they're to throw them in the Nile. And so she's defying the edict of her own father. And remember, this is a culture that despises Hebrews. They, they wouldn't allow them to live and populate in the areas where the Egyptians lived. And remember, Joseph couldn't even eat with the Egyptians, nor would they even eat with his brothers because the Hebrews were detestable to Egypt. See, but there was something about this baby. God had created this baby special. And immediately, when Pharaoh's daughter saw this baby, her heart melted, and she decided to spare the baby. See, don't miss what God's doing here. He created Moses uniquely. Also, God worked to accomplish his plan for Moses. He had a plan for Moses. And now he's beginning to manipulate people and circumstances to accomplish that plan because he is God, and God is in control of all of life. Look what Scripture says, Exodus 2.3. says, but when she could not hide him, 
Jochebed, Moses' mother. No longer, she got a papyra basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now no, stop. This is an ordinary mom. And now she, for some reason, does something extraordinary. I mean, mom, can you imagine taking your baby and making a basket, making it watertight, and then taking it down and letting the baby float down the river and just let fate, right? And she says she puts them in the reeds of the Nile. What else is lurking in the reeds of the Nile? Crocodiles. I mean, this is the last place a mom's going to put her baby. But see, God was working. And somehow God had impressed in her mind, in her spirit, in her soul. Listen, Yochebed, here's what you're going to do. You're going to build a basket, and you're going to make it watertight, and you're going to put your baby in it, and you're going to take it down to the Nile where all the crocodiles is, where the fast currents are, and you're going to put the baby there. That's what you're going to do. See, no mom in her right mind would ever conceive such a plan. So we know that it's God at work. Then we see in Exodus 2.5, Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were down there with her. Now, don't miss this. See, because it's really easy to miss something real important right here. See, we would think that Pharaoh's daughter is going down there to bathe, to get clean. Maybe she got a party that night, and she wants to smell good. But, but there's something much bigger going on here. See, she's royalty. She lives in palaces. She's got bathing facilities in those palaces. They'll carry water for miles to, to one of Pharaoh's daughters. They'll heat that water. She'll have a nice bath. So listen, here's what history shows. History shows, and the rabbis write about this too, that in that day, the Egyptians held the Nile as sacred. That was their lifeblood. Remember when Pharaoh had the dream, he saw the cows coming what? Out of the Nile. That's what caught his attention. Because they believed that the Nile had some connotation with their gods. And she went down to the bathe, and particularly, royal women used to go down to the Nile to bathe as an act of humility and as an act of offering before the Egyptian god of fertility. So she's just not taking a bath. She's down there on a spiritual journey. She's down there saying to the gods of Egypt, she's pleading with them to provide her what? A baby. See? That's what she's down there doing. And so all of a sudden, this basket comes. She goes, what the heck? What's that? She sends her attendants to go get the basket. And she opens up, and there's this baby. That's a Hebrew baby, but it's a what? It's a baby. It's life. See, God is working out the details in the miracle that's Moses to take him exactly where God wants him to be. And then... We know that Moses' sister is following along. Miriam's probably about 11 years old at the time. And when she sees this scene, and she sees Pharaoh's daughter's response, this little girl has the presence of mind immediately. They say, oh, princess, would you like me to go find one of those hardy Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? I mean, think about it. What would put that in the mind of a little girl before royalty? Most of the little girls, they'd be intimidated by royalty. They're slaves, remember? They aren't free people. And here's one of Pharaoh's daughters. And she says, oh, by the way, princess, would you like me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby for you? See, God is working to accomplish his plan in the life of Moses. That's what's all going on. 
God is equipping Moses to fully achieve the purpose God has in creating him unique. Again, Exodus 2, verse 8. Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, she answered. And, and, and the girl went and got the baby's mom. She didn't find just any Hebrew women. She went and got mom. She goes, mom, you're not going to believe this. Come on. And so Pharaoh's daughter says, I command you to take this baby and nurse this baby for me. And I will give you wages. <laughs> she not only gets her baby back, she's getting paid to raise her own kid. By the princess of Egypt. And to boot, she's, Moses is being raised under the royal protection of the princess's house. See, God's preparing him. What happens? God gives Moses back to his Hebrew mom and dad to raise him to understand that the gods of Egypt are not the gods, but there's a God who's greater than all those. There's the God Jehovah. And Moses is raised, possibly up to 12, 13 years old, to know who he is. He knows that he's really a Hebrew. He knows that he really serves God, Jehovah. And then, in an incredible act of faith, after the time of weaning passed, Scripture tells us in Exodus 2.10 that when the child grew older, Jacobed took that baby back to the princess and she gave the princess that baby to raise from that point on. In fact, Moses is not his Hebrew name. That's his Egyptian name. That's the name the Egyptian princess gave him because it means being drawn forth. He, she says, I will name him Moses because I drew him out of the water. Now, Acts 7.22, later in the New Testament, tells us that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was powerful in speech and action. So look what God did. God's working his plan. He uniquely creates Moses from the very beginning. Now he's, he's accomplishing all these amazing, miraculous details in order to work his plan. He's providing everything Moses is going to need. Now, because when Moses finally gets to the place where he's ready to do God's bidding... He fully identifies himself as a Hebrew, not an Egyptian, but he also understands the culture and the language. Later on, when he's going to go back to Pharaoh, he's not going to have to have a translator. He's going to talk to him in court Egyptian because he was raised in the court of the royal family of Egypt. He knows all the customs. He knows all the cultures. He knows which buttons to push and which buttons not to push. God has equipped him specifically for the plan that God had prepared for him before he was even born. See, God equipped Moses. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. You are a Moses. Don't miss this. You are a Moses. See, we, we could talk about your life journey that you're living right now is the miracle of you. It's a, it's a miracle that you even exist. you understand that? It's a miracle I exist. Do you, we understand how many things had to go perfectly right for us to be born? And how, how many of you are not the first child by your mom? Now, that's a miracle, because I never understand why the women will have the second baby. I mean, my mom's got to be looking down from heaven at me, and here I'm a pastor of a church. she got to be saying, it's a miracle. See, your life journey is the miracle of you, just like Moses' life journey was the miracle of him. You know why? Because God has created you uniquely too. 
Do you know that? God created you uniquely. You are exactly the man, the woman God created you to be. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me. Psalmist, Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You know what Scripture says? That God knows us intimately. We are not an accident. We are not just a random life form. God knows when we go to bed. God knows when we get up. God knows our thoughts. God knows everything about us. Why? Because he has uniquely created us. It goes on to say, 139, verse 13, Psalm, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So intimate that even before your birth, when, when, when your mother became impregnant, when, 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 when you were just an embryo inside her womb, God was manipulating your DNA. God was giving you your life talents, your abilities. God was giving you your personality. God was starting to work his plan. And to work his plan, you had to be uniquely created by him. goes on to say, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place inside my mom. When I was woven together in the depths of earth, your eyes saw my what? Unformed body. You were still an embryo. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before. Read it with me. One of them came to be. See, you're unique. God knit you together. And God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you in this life. You're not just walking around sucking air and eating food. God has you here for a plan. It's an eternal plan, just like Moses. Why? Because you are a Moses. God has uniquely created you, and God is working to accomplish his plan for you. He's doing the same thing in your life that he did in the life of Moses. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance us to do. What did Psalm 139 say? That said, before we ever live one day, God had a plan for us. While we were still being formed in our mom's womb. And now, Paul says the same thing to the believers at at Ephesus. Paul says, he says, do you know that, that God prepared in advance for you to have a purpose, for you to serve a mission, for you to be someone of eternal importance? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him. Now look what it says. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. See, when we are living for God and we are living that journey and we are mindful and conscious of the uniqueness that God created us to be and and understanding that God is trying to accomplish his plan in us. And when we're cooperating with that plan, see, he's going to manipulate whatever circumstances in your life. In my life, he's got to manipulate. He's going to manipulate people. He'll manipulate circumstances. He'll manipulate finances, vocational things, anything. God just said, there's nothing too great for God because God is in control of all of life. And that's exactly what he says to me. He's saying to you, he says, you're a Moses. Now, I may not use you to lead, lead the children of Israel out of somewhere, but, but I'm, I got a plan for you too. And see, he's working that plan right now. And he will equip you to fully accomplish that plan. 
Philippians 1, verses 4 through 6, Paul says to the Philippians, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. What are you confident of, Paul? Here's what Paul's confident of. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you while you were still in your mom's womb. He who began a good work in you the day you trusted Jesus Christ as your eternal Savior. He who began that work, it's his plan. It's his mission. It's his will for my life. It's his will for your life. And he has every resource necessary to make that plan a reality. And at the end of that plan is your eternal reward. See? 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, you will succeed in accomplishing God's plan that he uniquely created you to accomplish. See, he'll equip you. You are a Moses. You are a Moses. God created you the way you are. God has put you in the job you're in. God has given you the life interest you have. God has given, that's all from God. And he's given it to you for your enjoyment of life, for your potential eternal reward, but also for you to be a leader. See, every believer is a leader. Peter tells us that, that we are a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that we might declare the praises of him to those who are still walking in darkness. See, someone is living as a slave to sin that you know. Someone is living as a slave to addiction. Someone is living as a slave to, a, to depression. Someone is living as a slave to anger. Someone is living, and, and you know what? God may have fully equipped you uniquely because you're the man, you're the woman that's going to lead them across the bridge from their hurt to their healing. You're the one that's going to share with Jesus Christ so that, as the scripture says, they can cross over from death to life. See, you are a Moses. Your life journey is the miracle of you. Understand that. Own that, would you? You are a miracle. Your life journey is the miracle of you. And God is working that. And God will work it. And the only thing that can get in the way of it is us. See? So how does God Equip us. Well, three ways. One way is through Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, so that the man of God, the woman of God, can be totally prepared to accomplish the plan they were uniquely created to do. See, what is it? It's the Bible. We can't get enough of it. We can't read it enough. See, that's why... In this church, we, we, we teach the Bible. We don't teach philosophy. We don't teach culture. We teach the Bible. And we try to help you understand how what was written thousands of years ago, how there's a bridge to application in our life every single day, how it is still applicable to us, how it's relative to our lives. That's why we, we, we teach the way we do here. That's why we have life groups 
And we encourage you to be a part of Life Group so that you can learn more about God. See, the more about God's word you know, and the more you read it, the more we're opening ourselves up to God giving us the next direction. God putting it in our minds what the next step is. Now, it also does it through people like me and Pastor Bob and Pastor Evans and Pastor John and all the pastors and teachers on the staff. Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it was he, God, Jesus Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, we have been called. We've been uniquely created by God and God is trying to accomplish his work in our life to teach you so that you can live the plan that God has ordained for you to live so that you can successfully arrive in heaven one day and stand before Jesus Christ and see the biggest smile on his face and say, I can't wait. I've been waiting for you to get here because you've accomplished your plan. You've accomplished your work. Look at all the eternal rewards I've got for you. Now, John tells us there's another way. John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. John is speaking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, because at this time he hadn't come yet, but now he's coming. Every single person who trusts Jesus as his or her savior is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And look what he says. He says, he'll tell you. That Holy Spirit, if you'll stay in God's word, and you will follow the direction of the leaders that God has put in your life to help you survive and help you to walk your life journey that is the miracle of you, then the Holy Spirit's going to be there also. And that voice of the Holy Spirit's going to teach you truth. And I love what it says. It says, it says, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. What does that mean? Although he's the third member of the Trinity, although he is God, the Holy Spirit, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is only going to whisper in your consciousness, only going to whisper in your ear what God tells him to do. Why? Because it's God's plan for you. It's God who knit you together. And so he's going to say to the Holy Spirit, tell her this. Tell him that. Now tell him this. Put this impression on it. Make this kind of something that just won't go away. And God uses the Holy Spirit. Now, the more that we are invested in God's word, the more that we surround ourselves with, with the fellowship of believers, the more that, that we are understanding and embrace the idea that we're created special and that God's trying to work a plan in us and that he will equip us. And the more we surrender to that, the louder that voice will be, the clearer that voice will be, and we will walk through life, not in depression, but with hope and with purpose and with plan and with the promise of knowing that when we get to the end, we'll get there safely. See? It's the miracle of you. The miracle of you. You are a Moses. Let's bow our heads. Now, right now, God's working his plan in you. And right now, that means that if you've tuned in, the Holy Spirit now is saying things to your mind, not in a voice, but an impression. He's moving in your spirit in some way. And it's hundreds of ways because there's hundreds of people here. But right now, the Holy Spirit's saying something to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, I've been talking to you about, about this compulsive behavior you have and how harmful it is. It's getting in the way of my plan for you. 
And I've been talking to you about it. And now we need to do something about it. Maybe it's grief. and You're struggling over the grief of a, of a lost one. Then you need to get into our grief share program, our wellness program, so that we can help you get through that so you get back on track. Maybe it's a relational breakup, a divorce. Well, you need to get into our divorce care program so that we can help you deal with that hurt and help you get back to where you, God needs you to be. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's vocational. It can be hundreds of different things, but here's the key. It's you. It's what God is speaking to you through the voice of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Will you respond Right now, all you would need to do is say, God, I hear you. Holy Spirit, I get it. I know this isn't just something, some strange phenomenon. This is you. And I'm hearing you. I'm listening. Now, Holy Spirit, help me to do what you're you're, you're, you're asking me to do. Maybe you're here today, and the Holy Spirit's talking about your eternal condition. Maybe the Holy Spirit's challenging you about where you're going to spend eternity. Maybe the Holy Spirit's challenging you about your sinfulness. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. See, so many people are living under the false assumption today that if they live a good enough life, they're going to get into heaven. It's not true. Revelation chapter 21 says, He will not let anything impure enter his eternal kingdom. Every one of us are impure. So it's not by how good or bad we are. It's about what we've done with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. See, it's all about what we've done with Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, don't leave the campus that way. You can do it right now. Just confess that. Jesus, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for sin. I believe that he was buried and rose again. I believe that you have given him the authority to forgive my sin because of his willingness to be sacrificed. Jesus, be my Savior. Today, I call upon the name of the Son of God for eternal life. I'm not trusting in myself, my goodness, or anything else. Jesus, I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. See, Scripture says in 1 John 5, 13, that for those of us who do that sincerely, it says, these things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that these Bible characters are not so unique that they're so far above us or so out of our range that It has no application, but God, they were just like we are today. God, you've created us just as uniquely. You're working just as hard to accomplish your plan for us. And God, you will fully equip us to be successful. God, help us to cooperate with that and not resist it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.